Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green and your host. Today we're in for a treat as we have a true icon in the wellness world back on this podcast, John Mackey, co-founder and CEO of Whole Foods Market. John's a man I'm honored to call a friend, an entrepreneur whom I deeply admire, and look, a man who's paved the way for so many of us who are passionate about making our world a better and healthier place and creating businesses and brands that do just that. Today, we'll be discussing his new must-read best-selling book titled Conscious Leadership. I think we could all benefit from conscious leadership right now, and there's a lot for us to learn. So it's great to have him back on this podcast. John, welcome. Thanks, Jason. Good to see you. Good to be on the show. Great to have you back. One of my favorite guests. I think this is your your third or fourth appearance. Always, always a fan favorite here. We love Whole Foods Market and we love everything you've built there. Um, and we love your books. <laughs> and you. you've got a new book uh, titled Conscious Leadership. And I'm curious, like, wh- why this book? You certainly don't have anything to prove. You've written numerous bestsellers. You know, you founded Whole Foods Market. Why this book? I was trying to prove things when I was in my 20s and 30s. I'm in my 60s now, so I'm not really trying to prove things anymore. Uh, but So it's a good question, though. Why did we write the book? Really because Conscious Capitalism came back. We published that back in 2013, and we're really proud of that. It's, made a, it's, made a, it's had a huge impact. It's changed people's thinking in a lot of ways. Uh, and uh, the thing is, it's that's a theoretical book, and... We've had a lot, so many questions over the last several years about how can I be a more conscious leader? We, we talk about that you really can't create a conscious business if you don't have conscious leadership. So that, well, how do you become a conscious leader? And we have a couple of chapters in conscious capitalism, but it's not enough. People were hungry for more. So it's like this was like the sequel to conscious capitalism because I'm very passionate about if you want to have conscious businesses, then leaders have got to be more conscious. And this is how to do it. This is really, this is a how-to book because we have so many different practices. Every chapter has practices in them. It's, it's like we have to develop our inner being. And in business in particular, it's so task-oriented. Every, we have a to-do list. We got a bunch of appointments and meetings. And we just, you know, bang, 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 bang leaves very little time for the development of our of our inner self. Uh, we're, it's such a outer self that business calls forth. But yet to be a conscious leader, we have to develop the inner self. And this book is kind of a, for, for business people and for leaders, is how to develop the inner self. So I know, the, without giving away the whole book, how do you quickly define conscious leadership? What, what are the qualities of a conscious leader? What does a conscious leader look like? What does conscious leadership look like? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's a, a good question, and we get asked it. And, and, I, and my first answer is, well, we wrote a book to kind of give you the definition. <laughs> you did, and everyone but, should pick up the book. But. In a sense, in a shorter version, a conscious leader is a leader who's simply more aware, more awake, more conscious of purpose and love and integrity and and acting in win-win-win ways, concerned about servant leadership and stakeholders, um, seeking to learn and grow continuously, building better and more awake teams. It's, uh, uh, those, are, those are some of the key elements. But the key thing is they're just more aware. They're more self-aware and they're more empathetic towards others. So let's build off of purpose. You know, purpose is a big part of the book. Uh, you've got this great quote in the book from Roy Spence, the founder of the Purpose Institute, which is don't ask kids what they want to do when they grow up. Ask them what they love to do. So my question to you, like, it's so simple. It's beautiful. You know, I'm a parent. I think of this all the time. But like, we just get it wrong. Like, wh- what do we get so wrong when it comes to finding our purpose? I think one thing we get wrong is that we think it's like uh uh, find, you know, like finding gold or buried treasure somewhere that you're going to search and then you're just going to have it and ah, have purpose. And that may happen for some people, but generally purpose is something that develops over time. As we do pursue the things that we're passionate about, 
um, we come to discover our purpose. Like, let me give you an example, like my own life. So when I was 23 years old and a student at the University of Texas in Austin, I moved into a vegetarian co-op, uh, a living, a, a, like a communal living uh, situation. I wasn't a vegetarian at that time. But what I was is I was very interested in all things counterculture back in the set 1970s in Austin, Texas. So um, I moved in. I met super cool people, became a vegetarian, and I had a food awakening. I had no real interest in food until then. But then I learned all about natural and organic foods. I became the food buyer for the co-op. I learned how to cook. Then I went to work for a small natural food store. And uh, I just, the more, the deeper I got into it, the more I loved it. And the more I loved it, the more I wanted to get into it. And I remember I came home one day from working in this natural food store, back to the co-op. I had, my girlfriend Renee was there. And I guess at that time I was 23 and Renee was 20 or 19, actually. She's four years younger than me. And I said, hey, Renee, what do you think about if we open up our own, you know, our own small natural food store? And she just thought that was the coolest idea. She said, let's do it. That'll be fun. And so she was passionate about this as well. So we did. We opened up a small store back called Saferway back in 1978. And um, and then it was like, I want to do a bigger store. So we, we, we relocated that store. And I was on my path because I was... I was doing what I cared about, what I was interested in, what I was passionate about. But the more I did it, the deeper it got. So it wasn't like, voila, I found my higher purpose. In some ways, I'm still discovering it. Even all these years later, 42 years later, I'm still discovering it because it's still deepening. So I think the key thing is, is to follow your heart, do the things you care about, and they will guide you to finding your own personal higher purpose in life. And something else you talk about in the book, which I think is important to important point to make specifically in 2020, uh, purpose and profits in many people's minds are mutually exclusive, but it doesn't have to be that way. Right. Right. Uh, we'll probably talk more about this as we get deeper into the conversation, but that's a very binary interpretation of life, which I have to say, I think most people think in sort of these binary terms of it's good versus evil. It's your winning and losing. If you get rich, somebody else is getting poor. If you're succeeding, somebody else is failing. It's this very, very binary interpretation of life. And it and I don't think that's a very good framework to to think about life because it's not binary. It's far more complex. Systems thinking is far better metaphors today that things are integrated together. We think about a system like an ecosystem. It's complex. You've got all you've got a you've got a water cycle. You've got an oxygen cycle. You've got soil. You've got microorganisms and plants and animals. They're all into they're all integrated together. And you have the cycle of life and it's complex. You can't understand it in a binary framework and only understand it by thinking about the relationships that exist between what we think are separate parts, but they're not really separate. They're, they're connected. Well, purpose and profit are not opposites. They're not like binary. If you make, if you have purpose, you can't make profits. And if you have profits, you can't have purpose there. It's clearly there. You can have both and you should, you should have purpose and you should make profits because if you make profits, you can better fulfill your purpose. And if you don't make profits, you probably won't fulfill your purpose. And if you only care about your purpose and don't make profits, then you're, you know, you, you sort of are off track. And if you only care about profits, but don't care about purpose, you're off track. It's got to be both. Yeah. And you know, if you have purpose, but you're, you're <laughs> you have no profits, you, you almost lose control of your purpose because you're forced to make decisions to keep the business alive, which sometimes aren't often the best decisions for the purpose, but you have to That's keep right. the lights on and payroll and all of those choices. You have to, you have to manage both simultaneously. Yeah. That's the first little complex system. And it, it gets a lot more complex from there because to manage profits, you got to manage, you got to create value for customers. You have to have team members and employees and they have to be happy and flourishing because they create value for the customers. And if you're a retail store, you're, you have suppliers that are producing things for you and that you can sell and they have to be flourishing as well. And investors, you got to keep happy and the communities you're part of. 
it's a system and you have to manage that entire system. So there are a lot of people out there, you know, who have purpose. A lot of, a lot of people out there are very, very intelligent, uh, very commercial, if you will. Yet a lot of people aren't, you know, success, successful commercially. I'm curious, what is it? What do you think separates those who, quote unquote, make it, if you will, and those who don't? And I'm curious how you, again, I don't want to, I know you're big in the, this isn't a binary question, like making it versus not making you, it. You did frame it up binarily. I know, but I also like, how do you think about that? Like in terms of how, how do you define success and what do you do? What do you think separates those who, who are able to, um, you know, talk, talk about something uh, and, and really make a go of it versus those who just talk about something in terms of the well, business being um, an entrepreneur? First of all, success is in the and is defined differently, right? So there, it's not just financial success. Success is fulfilling your purpose. You already put it out like that. And success is about creating value for other people. In business context, that's what's frequently misunderstood. Uh, success is not about maximizing profits. Success is about creating value for other people, and profit is is a is a in a sense, a byproduct of that, and because people are voluntarily in relationship with each other, they're voluntarily exchanging for mutual gain and benefit. So if you are creating value for other people, then that probably could result in making money. And if you don't create value for other people, you will not make money. Your business will ultimately fail. So you've got to get that priority right. But in terms of success, when I think of success, I think of it as a much more um, in a much more comprehensive way because Whole Foods is purpose driven. We want to fulfill our purpose to nourish people on the planet. We're also very stakeholder oriented. We want all of our stakeholders to flourish, all of them to be successful. We want our customers to be uh, to, to sell healthy food to customers to uh, to that they that they're happy that the food nourishes them, that, that they enjoy the food, it tastes good, and that, so they'll come back and buy food in the future. And because it's an end in itself, we want, we want people to flourish and be happy. Uh, we know that we can't do that unless our team members are also flourishing because they're the ones that are serving the customers. So team member happiness is a very important, team member happiness and growth is one of the core values of Whole Foods. So they, we need, they need to flourish as well. And our suppliers, I mean, we sell, we do business with tens of thousands of suppliers all over the country and increasingly all over the world. And they're trading with us voluntarily. They need to be successful and flourish too, because that helps us to be successful and flourish. I'm very proud of the fact that so many people started out at Whole Foods. We were their first people they ever sold to, and then they, they grew. A great example of that more recently is uh, Vital Farms Eggs. We were their first First people they sold to, and uh, it just went public, and their value now $1.4 billion, and the entrepreneurs become very successful and wealthy. And, uh, yeah, we were – they would have probably done that anyway, but we, we were a good launching pad for them, and that, that makes me happy. So success – I measure success in all those different ways, the value that we're creating for all these different peoples, customers, team members, suppliers, investors, and the community that we're part of. We should be socially responsible and care about our communities and try to and try to do right by them. So when you think of the individual, I'm curious in your mind, you know, what, what, what's the magic blend of, you know, EQ, IQ, grit, purpose? Like, how do you think about that, that pie? Because we do have a lot of people in our, in our audience. We have a lot of people who are you know, hustling and, and, and looking for success in their own definition. And, you know, there, there's some will say some of it, you know, are, are entrepreneurs, are they born or are they made? And I'm just curious, like, how you think about that? I think that human diversity is extremely complex. And that <laughs> there's not a simple formula that, like, you can plug and play, right? It's uh I mean, because people are different. Some people, you know, they, they get it, as you say, through grit. They have incredible perseverance. Others are great strategists, and they just figure out kind of a winning strategy and play and play the hand there. Others are very emotionally intelligent, and they create great relationships with people. They build trust, and that 
gets parlayed into success. So there are lots of different ways to approach it, and there's not one right way. I will tell you that ultimately in business, it's about creating value for other people. And if you can't do that, then you're not going to be successful. I mean, you take your own business, Mind Body Green. You guys are creating value for people because they're listening and they're and they're and they're participating in many different ways with this brand, and, and you're helping them to have better lives and fulfill their their spirituality, their health, their well-being, their mental managing stress. So uh, you're creating value for people, and that's why they're your that's why you're your, they're your members and your customers. And if you stop doing that for them, they don't have to continue to trade with you, or somebody better comes along who does a better job and it's like, well, I want both. And, and this, <laughs> this other one, um, uh, sustainability Inc is more <laughs> really what I want. So competition helps you to get better and improve or people imitate you and pass you up. Sure. So it's about value creation and however you do that, there are many different ways to do that, but it has to be done. That's the one thing that has to be done. So, what have you learned about yourself as a conscious leader in this process? You know, you start off the book talking about a very humbling moment uh, 20, 20 or so years ago where you thought you were going to potentially lose control of the company and it led you down this process. And what have you in this process learned about yourself? Of You know, John, founder and CEO, what, what I do well, what I don't do well and how I think about that. Well, again, that's a, you know, that's a long question. I mean, because I've got 42 years of data. But what I can tell you is, is that um, I've learned a lot from my mistakes. And I think that's a strength. I'm, I'm, I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm not embarrassed or ashamed to admit that. But I do think I learned from them and I get better. And the last chapter in our book is continuously learn and grow. Life is this grand adventure. That's how I conceive of life. Life is this grand adventure. And we can learn and grow the entire time we're alive. Learning and growing is not just for children. It is for everyone. And it should never stop. It's because you finished school or got your master's or your PhD or whatever. It's not like, you ah, finally, I can stop learning because now I, I've arrived. And I've just continued to learn. I've continued to learn ever since. I didn't. First of all, I came, I started the business with kind of a, a bit of an inferiority complex because I had no business background. I'd never taken any business classes in school. I studied philosophy and the humanities of all types. So when I started out, I, I, my resume, I always make a joke that it's true, but it's funny. My, my resume reads something like this, uh, bus boy, dishwasher, boys camp counselor, CEO, Whole Foods Market. Um, I just didn't have that kind of experience. I worked for a, a small natural food store for a few months, so let's add that in there. <laughs> but I didn't really know what I was doing, and neither did my girlfriend. Her resume was Domino's, pizza delivery, uh, 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 Astroworld, uh, uh, um, Whole Foods Market, right? I mean, when she start, when we started it out, Safeway Whole Foods Market. So because I didn't know anything, I knew I didn't know anything, and so I read everything I could find. I read hundreds of business books. I, anybody that I think had any business knowledge, I sat at their feet and asked them questions. What about this? What about that? And when something wasn't going well, so I, I, I got my dad mentored me. I was just a sponge. I just soaked up knowledge. And then, and then even so, I still made a ton of mistakes. I, and and uh, fortunately, none of them were fatal. I didn't, I didn't drive the Whole Foods bus off a cliff. Although I probably could have a few times. I always was, I had, and I had a good team and I had a good team. I always had a great team and the team, it's why we wrote a chapter in the book on it. Um, constantly evolve your team because if you have a good team, then you're going to probably, they're going to make you look good. If you have a bad team, it's, if we use a sports metaphor, no matter how good a player you are, you can't win in basketball by yourself. You got to have a good team around you. Same in baseball, same in any sport. Nobody's great enough to win by themselves. So you're no better than your team. 
So does it come down to self-awareness, you know, self-awareness on how good you are, self-awareness on learning and your mistakes? So it's, how, how critical is self-awareness? In this it's situation? incredibly critical, but I want to repeat, it doesn't come down to any one thing. There <laughs> is no magical formula. That's uh, fair. And there's also an element of luck. Let's not, sure. you know, you meet the right person at the right time. One of the great things of why Whole Foods has been successful is, Frankly, we got into this business early. We we not because we saw it had this huge potential, like, and it. But it, we caught a wave that we helped create the wave to a certain extent. But natural and organic foods was nowhere back in uh, in the middle '70s. It was a whole new kind of hippies were doing it, and that was all. It wasn't in the mainstream at all. It was just a bunch of counterculture people. And they were doing it. And the mainstream America completely wasn't interested in it at all. So self-awareness is very, very important because in self-awareness is how you develop emotional intelligence, social awareness. Um, and you have enough with social with uh, self-awareness. You can also develop humility because you see that you don't know everything. You see that you make mistakes. You see that other people are smarter than you and that you should be sh shut up and listen instead of talking. Uh, so yeah, self-awareness. I've met many successful entrepreneurs who aren't that self-aware, but they generally eventually drive off the cliff. Hubris, hubris takes them off the cliff eventually because they think they've got the Midas touch and, and nobody does. And, uh, if you don't have humility and self-awareness, eventually you're going to, your ego is going to is going to ensure that you self-destruct. I agree. Uh, so, so purpose, you know, something, you know, purpose is something, you know, I'm not short of, I have a lot of purpose. Colleen and I will joke, we've got too much purpose that it overtakes our life sometimes. And, and we've joked, and I said this to you, we, we don't, for this reason, we don't believe in, in work-life balance. We think it's not realistic. And we like the term work-life integration, which I know yeah. we'll talk about that. I like that too. Um, I remember talking to this guy many years ago, um, a guy named Jack Stack, who wrote The Great Game of Business. And we went out to dinner. And I, was, I raised this very question with him about, I mean, Jack, how do you do it? You're building this business and you've got, I think he had like seven kids and, and uh, you know, you're, you're consulting with all these other businesses and how do you juggle it all? And he says, I don't. I can't juggle it, it's impossible. I just do the very best that I can do every day, knowing that to a certain extent, I can't balance it. I can't keep it in harmony. But what I can do it is I can follow it sort of passionately. And I care about all these things. So I, because I care about all these things, I do care about my kids. I do care about the business. I do care about my marriage. I do care about my friends. I, I, I do care about my health. So he basically would just do the very best that he could do, knowing, and what that means is, you're gonna fail, and you're gonna have little failures all the time. You know, there are some days I get zero exercise in, because you know, I had to get to the office early and I have to work late, so no, no exercise. But you know what, I'm conscious, aware, I did not exercise today, I can't do that every day. And so then there'll be other times where I'll say, sorry, I'm not gonna take that meeting because I'm going to exercise tomorrow morning. I'm going to make sure I get a long walk and do some yoga. I'm not going to neglect my meditation. And so then I, you know, I got scheduled at a different time. So it's, it's about managing it as best you can, knowing and not being overwhelmed. It's very important that we take So if it comes down to something, you're in control of your own life and your own time. You make the choices and don't be a victim. Take responsibility and make the choices that, are right for you then. Sometimes it's right for me to go traveling, and sometimes I feel travel overwhelmed, so I start turning stuff down. To and you know, so I think the word harmony and integration is better than balance because balance reflects all this trade-offs. I, th I think about a seesaw when I think about balance. You know, one goes up, one goes down, one goes up. You're not getting anywhere. You're just going up and down. And when I think of integration, I think about uh, moving forward with all these things moving forward together, we're, they're all advancing, not just trading off endlessly. So what do you do when you you have a bad day or a bad moment? What's, what's your, they happen, what, what's your go-to? So 
the, the real trick is back to self-awareness because we all go unconscious at times. As you say, we have a bad day. A bad day in, in a, is almost a definition of going unconscious uh, because you go into a reactive state. You're no longer conscious. You're no longer in the moment. You've had some time, you got angry or fearful or um, uh, you've gotten lost in your thought stream and so you're no longer fully awake in that moment. Here's the thing, you just gotta wake back up again. You gotta, you gotta catch yourself. And uh, there are many ways to do that. You can set, uh, sometimes I just set my watch to beep every hour. So that in that hour, I'll, and that beeping, I will then spend 30 to 60 seconds just centering myself, breathing, uh, mindful meditation to be fully aware of the moment. So I, if, that can remind me. But what happens as you practice catching yourself when you go back to sleep or when you when you when you get into a reactive emotional state, you just you get better at it. Like any skill, the more you practice it, the better you get at it. Like meditation, you get better at it the more you practice it. So I catch myself, but I do go to sleep. I do emotionally react. I'm still on a journey. I am not fully arrived where I never say angry things or get scared or like, you know, uh, I do it. But I just don't do it as long. I'm not as unconscious as long as I used to be. Sometimes I can catch myself in the moment. It's like, there I go again. I'm in a reactive, fearful space and I can snap out of it just like that. So it's a skill. I just get better at it, but I'm still not completely there all the time. No one's ever there all the time. I don't know. They might be, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so, so something you, you touched on earlier, I want to come back to. Uh, you talked about sports metaphor, sports metaphors, so like winning, losing. But you talked about this at our Revitalize event. and People loved it. I love it. The concept of win, win, win. Well, because... In sports or war or most of our Darwinian metaphors, it's win-lose. Survival, you survive or die. Survive or go extinct. It's back to binary. And win-win-win is not binary. Win-win-win is actually the essence of what business is. Business is one of the, if we were conceptualizing business as a game, and I don't think it is, it's better thought of as a win-win-win game because all the stakeholders can win. Nobody has to lose. And when and the problem is stakeholder theory has now penetrated into the mainstream, but it's being warped because people are trying to apply a win lose framework to it. So it's like, well, the investors have been making all the money and now through ESG, we're going to rectify that. We're going to make sure that that we get the employees get paid more and we're going to make sure that uh, uh that unions get their share and that and that, uh, uh, that social responsibility is going to have its day. That's all based on this trade-off thinking. It's all based on investors losing. It's almost like I, I feel like people are sometimes grinning. At last, the greedy bastards, we're going to take that money away and redistribute it to the other stakeholders. That's completely misunderstanding stakeholder theory. And stakeholder theory is about managing the system to optimize the entire system. So it's not purpose or profits, it's purpose and profits. Rightly understood, investors should make even more, as should all the other stakeholders. You're working to optimize the entire system to simultaneously create value for all of these participants. That's the great game of stakeholders, rightly understood. And that's what business is about. There's a reason why 200 years ago, for almost all of history, people have been incredibly poor. This, people do not know their history. Just going back 200 years, Jason, 94% of the entire planet lived on less than $2 a day. 94%, and that's adjusted for today's dollars. Think about that, 94%. Today, it's under 10%. 10% is still too high, but that's a heck of a lot better than 94%. The illiteracy rates 200 years ago were 88%. So 88% of the people alive couldn't read. And the average lifespan was 30. Okay. Now it's 72.6. And the illiteracy rates are down to uh, about 12%. So we've made tremendous progress. And it's primarily been through business. It's primarily been through capitalism. Because that has created, because it's a win-win-win game. 
as it is, it has been the genie got out of the bottle with the industrial revolution. And as regulations began to at least temporarily lessen it, we, we broke forth with this wave of continuing prosperity gains. Yes. Um, some people got more money at first, but on the long term, if I was to show you statistics, I already showed you the biggest one, which is uh, poverty is being rapidly eliminated on this planet. And it probably will be eliminated within uh, a gross poverty in the next, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 years. We wish poverty will be something you'll see only in museums, as Muhammad Yunus has said. So that's a win-win-win game. And if you read Stink Steven Pinker's book, uh, Enlightenment Now, which I think is the most important book written so far in the 21st century, you he just completely shows the progress the humanity has made. Or ha I'll read Hans uh, Rosling's book, Factfulness. I mean, humanity is making tremendous advancements. And that's win-win-win. That's not win-lose. It's not somebody getting rich and somebody else getting poor. Humanity is collectively advancing. And that's a narrative not told because people are so pessimistic. They think the world is about to end. People are so gloomy. But the evidence and the facts and the statistics tell a completely different story. But you have to know your history to, to really appreciate it. So you know, outsiders will say, you know, Whole Foods, Amazon, different cultures. People were surprised by the merger. It's a couple of years later. Um, I'm curious, like today in 2020, you know, why do you think it's a win-win-win that relationship with Amazon and uh, so? And then part two is like, where, where where's Whole Foods traveling? Because um, the world is changing very rapidly, and grocery is changing very rapidly, and natural is changing very rapidly. <laughs> the first part of the question is pretty easy. The second part is hard because I'm not going to talk about future strategies the company's going to do because that's you, you got to give me give me something. <laughs> I, I, will, I will give you this. I'll give you the answer I'm going to give you right now, and it'll it's it's the truth. And uh, in the future, people are going to be able to get whatever kind of food they want, whenever they want it, wherever they want it, at a price that they're willing to pay. That's what's going to happen. You're basically going to get anything you want, whenever you want it, and wherever you want it at a price that you feel is reasonable. That's where we're heading. So how we're gonna get there will vary tremendously. And that's the part I can't tell you about <laughs> what, our, what our future strategies are. But in terms of the win-win-win with Amazon, so people might, I use the marriage metaphor. And the reason why it's a good metaphor is because it was voluntary, we came into voluntary agreement. And uh, we did it because we both thought it was gonna be beneficial to both of us or we wouldn't have done it. And it's win-win-win because I, th I think it through for all the stakeholders. And I tell the story in the book, in the win-win-win chapter, I give it in some depth, how we, how we you know, I met Jeff Bezos and, and why I thought it would be a win-win and meeting with Jeff and, and then how the whole courtship happens. And I give it in some detail because it's, it's a good story. So it's a win for each one of our major stakeholders. Our customers have benefited tremendously. They've been the biggest beneficiaries. Whole Foods has done three significant price reductions. And people are going to be very slow to let go of Whole Paycheck because Whole Foods is always going to have high quality. But we've done three major price reductions, and we've got a fourth one that we're, we're under the, in, in the middle of launching right now. Uh, so whether people are conscious of it or not, they're, the people that shop with us are getting a much better deal than they used to get before. And because if you're a Prime member, uh, you're getting free delivery on all your groceries. And I can tell you, delivery is not free. Free Delivery is actually quite expensive. But you're getting that as a benefit as being a Prime member. And about 75 to 80% of our customers are Prime members, particularly our core customers. I'm one of them. Just look at my yeah. account. I take and, fully uh, advantage of that. <laughs> and are you, getting free, and you, are you getting a lot of deliveries? Oh, God. You should look at my account. Okay. <laughs> you should. We're, we're probably losing money on you. Oh, you definitely are. I'm sorry, John. <laughs> so um, that's been a win for our customers. And has it been a win for our team members? Well, less than a year after this merger, Amazon announced a $15 minimum wage for starting pay of anybody that worked for the company, including Whole Foods. And because if you, 
if you were already working for the company and you'd been working there three years and you got a raise and you were working at $15 an hour and now somebody who'd been working there for 30 days got a raise to $15 an hour, you wouldn't feel like that was very fair. So it's not so much that we raised the lowest paid people to $15 is that we had to raise everybody up. And so we gave about 90,000 people raises. And so a huge win for our team members. And, and we still have our, all of our benefit structures in place. And Amazon has, has not tried to change our culture. Now, Whole Foods has changed somewhat, but just like you change in a marriage, you change not because it's been crammed down our throats. We change because we're learning things. And uh, I always say that I was, it's kind of a joke I ask when I'm, when people, and I'm talking to people and I say, so how many of you are married? And, and, you know, most people raise their hands and I say, well, how many of you changed since you got married? got married almost everybody raises their hands and the few that don't i say those of you that didn't raise your hands are probably not going to be married that much longer (laughs) (laughs) because in marriage you do change and it's just natural because we 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 learn from our partner we try new things and we we get we just change it's just the way of the nature of things and if you don't change then you're not really respecting the person you're with you're not you're not making any any compromises, you're not trying the new things that that person can introduce you to. And you might ask the question, why the heck did you get married in the first place? So uh, it's been beneficial for our team members, no question about it. Plus, some of them have gone on to work for Amazon. So it's given them other op- job opportunities as well. Uh, it's been good for our suppliers. That's one of the things the media has been critical of. But just because the media makes stuff up and uh, wants, con- wants controversy, Whole Foods is, is very committed to local. That hadn't changed. Amazon hasn't changed that. And it's been extremely good for, for thousands of our suppliers because Whole Foods has been a springboard to selling at Amazon. Amazon now sees all of our sales, obviously, and the, and, and, and the successful suppliers are getting onto the Amazon network. And, and, and now Amazon's opening up physical stores, Amazon Fresh, and a, lot, and, our, and a lot of those products will be migrating into those stores as well. So definitely good for our suppliers. Good for our investors. Our stock was trading at 30 bucks uh, a couple of months before we started talking to Amazon, and we sold uh, sold it to Amazon for $41. So that was about $4 billion of extra money to our investors. And good for our communities, because not only has not Amazon not tried to change our philanthropy, they've been very supportive of our foundations. They've been they've been generous. Um, and and uh, so I mean, it's been it's been a win, 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 win. I, and every one of our stakeholders is one. They were better off now than they were pre-merger. So, you know, going from, you know, st- starting as a small natural co-op to going public to seeing the merger through and, and, and where we are in 2020. Um, h- how do you think about your legacy? I don't think about my legacy. <laughs> and you know, I, I, I can explain that in a very simple because with, a, with a, an analogy or a metaphor. Uh, I remember reading a biography. I can't remember the, the artist's name, but it was, a, um, I don't know, Picasso or, or somebody great. Uh, or, and they were asking him about his legacy. And he said, yeah, I don't care about my old pictures. I care about the pictures I'm making right now. That's what turns me on. So legacy stuff I've done in the past, what I'm excited about is what I'm doing right now and what I'm going to be doing in the future because that's where the creativity is and that's where the fun is. The fun is in creating. Maybe when I'm like 110 years old, I'll be dead most likely, but when I'm really, really old, I will be thinking back about the fun that I had and the relationships that were built. And, you know, maybe I'll, I'll be proud of some of the stuff we've accomplished, but truthfully right now I'm having too much fun working on the thing stuff I'm working on work. I'm working on building the future, not reminiscing about the past. Got it. And so, you know, on, on, a, on a personal level, uh, you know, we, we share a, a mutual friend, Dan Butner, who we love his, we love him. We love his work with blue zones and something you talk about in the book you know, there's so many popular diets out there. We've had all those people on our podcast. You sell those products at Whole Foods. There, there's everything. And, and the reality, it's it's so simple. Um, 
you know, could you talk a little bit about how, how you, your philosophy on food and the simplicity of it, which, you know, in my mind needs to come to the forefront, must come to the forefront in the context of COVID and the obesity epidemic and prediabetes and all these things, which used to be ailments that uh, led to deterioration over time, but now can kill people. And just how, how you think about nutrition and what we need to do there and your philosophy and, and simplifying it, if you will. It's actually, it's very simple. I think Michael Pollan, I want to give him credit. I think Michael pretty much said it all in a simple formula. Eat real food, mostly plants, not too much. I mean, it's right there. Don't eat all these processed foods with have sugar, refined grains, a lot of oils. Uh, you know. Or Michael also said, um, if it's a plant, eat it. If it's made in a plant, don't. <laughs> <laughs> so we should be eating whole natural foods. And we should be eating mostly plants because really that's how we evolved, eating mostly plants. That's what our great ape, so that's what the chimpanzees and the gorillas do. And that's... And, and so whether you're, I'm personally, Dan and I are both, both vegans and plant-based, but I, and I, in the whole foods diet book, which I wrote, I said, based on the blue zones and other evidence, eating small amounts of animal foods is consistent with good health. There's an ethical question there, but that's a different question sure. in terms of good health. That's consistent with it, but mostly it's going to be a plant-based diet. I mean, 90% of your calories from plants and, but whole plants. So you're eating lots of fruits and vegetables and i you can eat almost any diet but if you just eat lots of fruits and vegetables every day you're going to probably be well, healthy well you know what they supercharge the immune system well you know what's interesting on one hand 12 percent of americans are metabolically healthy on the other hand 90 percent of americans don't get enough fruits and vegetables almost a perfect correlation there between yes. metabolic health and fruits and vegetables simple I, I eat, I honestly, I eat mostly fruits and vegetables, but you know, my vegetables, I do eat a lot of starchy vegetables like sweet potatoes and squash and, and white potatoes too. Um, but lots of fruits and vegetables. I start out with a lot of fruits and leafy greens in the morning with a, with a really, really nutritious smoothie. That's my typical breakfast. And then I eat a lot of steamed vegetables at night and I eat some beans and, you know, I eat a pretty really diverse diet because I, I, everything that's a plant food I like. I've taught my palate to enjoy every kind of vegetable, which I ate no vegetables until I was about 20 years old. I just didn't eat them because they didn't taste good. But uh, I taught myself to love them because if you eat any food about 10 times, you'll start to like it. <laughs> really just, no, you will. So it's really just getting your palate used to it. And then you move to where well, I really love vegetables now. They're my, some of my favorite foods are vegetables. So it's simple philosophy. So something else, you know, I think in a lot of people's minds right now, uh, the environment, uh, the planet, you know, California is burning. It's just, again, it's, it's just, we're almost numb to it, you know, and, and it's, we talked about a complex problem. It's a complex problem. I'm curious, are you optimistic in terms of, uh, you strike, I know you're an optimist, but are, are you optimistic in terms of our ability uh, to prop to approach climate change? I am. I'm I'm but this is a this is something I don't like to talk about. So I'm probably not going to give you a satisfactory <laughs> answer. Well, no, it's so it's complicated. It's so I know it's complicated. It's so politicized and uh, uh Whatever I say, it's going to be taken out of context and misinterpreted. Um, so I generally try to avoid talking about climate change. I, I'm, not, I'm not apocalyptic about climate change based on, on uh, everything I've studied about it. But, you know, the climate's changing. It's real. And uh, the, the trick of this thing is to um, take it seriously but without wrecking the world economy. Um, yeah. And honestly, we should be looking for win-win-win solutions. But I find that the discussion is people are so polarized on it. Let me, let me give you an example. So it's, it's going to be innovations that solve the problem ultimately. I mean, capitalism, innovations, that's what's going to. So you could see the transportation system, for example, being transformed over the next 20 years. 
because we've had so many breakthroughs and are continuing to have breakthroughs in electrical vehicles, you know, led by Elon Musk and Tesla. But we also see, so California doesn't, is having, doesn't have enough power because they're trying to move away from fossil fuels. So the dilemma that we have to face, and people don't want to face it, is we either need to do innovation in nuclear, which can produce the electricity we need to power an electrical economy, or we have to continue to use fossil fuels. And people don't like that choice because they want it to just be renewables. But that doesn't appear, based on everything that I've studied and read, to really be a viable solution because the use of electricity just continues to climb. It's going to continue to climb. And everything I've said about how much uh, solar and wind we'd have to build in order to try to meet it is, is, is incomprehensible. We, we couldn't do it. Nuclear does hold a possibility there, but people have to feel that it's safe, right? So somebody like Bill Gates, for example, is investing in lots of small nuclear plants that are they're trying to get approved that can produce energy on a more local basis. I'm not an energy expert, so I don't, but I certainly know we need to have safe energy. So it's just a complex problem, but these solutions will come from innovations. And as long, if we're ideologically locked into a certain framework and we're not open to innovation, if we, if we just say we can't go that direction, then we're, we're sort of trapped. And that's unfortunate. Um, so this is a very complex problem. I hate to wait any deeper in. I probably already, I'm, no, I'm, it, I already it, waited look, deeper than I should have waited in. No, Hate on me for saying nuclear or something. The reason I asked is because I I know you're pragmatic. I know you research this, and I also know you have a deep appreciation for the environment. <laughs> um, you know, you just went on to tell people on the epic little the epic hike you, you went on recently. Like you love nature, you spend time I in nature. nature. You love nature. You spend a lot of time there. And like, to talk about the hike you just went on. It's impressive. Oh, well, I've been a long-distance hiker for a long time now, at 20 years. I've hiked the Appalachian Trail twice, Pacific Crest Trail. But all, all I did this summer was I took uh, went with some friends, and we hiked uh, 150 miles on the Pacific Crest Trail from the, the border of Washington and Oregon up to White's Pass, which is about 150 miles. We went through the Goat Rocks Wilderness, which is spectacularly beautiful. This is a particularly beautiful part of the Pacific Crest Trail that we were on. Uh, possibly matched and surpassed by the John Muir Trail in the southern, in the uh, in the north southern central part of California. Those are the two most beautiful places so, I've ever hiked. So those are your two. So okay. So then I have to ask you, what are your go-to trails in Austin? Rank your trails in Austin. <laughs> well, the trail that I, I mean, the the best trail is probably we have a. The Barton Creek Greenbelt's got a nice 13.8 mile trail that um, is is right in the heart of the city, and you can so you're getting into some semi wild areas. It's a nice trail, so that's really really good, and and that can also be biked. But the most popular trail by far is what used to be called Town Lake, and now it's called Lady Bird Lake after Lady Bird Johnson, and that's a trail that they continue to expand, and you it's a loop. And you can take my, the short loop is 2.9 miles. And then they had a four mile loop and a five mile loop and a 10 mile loop and a 20 mile loop. So, um, it's, it, it's, I mean, every day there are literally tens of thousands of people that go on that trail. It's very, very popular. It's very beautiful. So that's, that's the most popular trail. I happen to live right next to another trail, my house. I can walk out my door across the street and I'm on this trail called Shoal Creek. And that's my typical daily walk because I don't have to drive anywhere. And that's about, for me, a round trip on that one's anywhere from three and a half to about five miles. Wow. Okay. So I'll close with another big question. You know, it's October 2020. A lot going on in the world. Uh, <laughs> what, what, to say the least. Uh, you know, what, what worries you? And on the flip side, what, what excites you? Well, let's just start it out by saying 2020 is probably the worst year of my life. <laughs> I think I think that's I'm, anybody that hears that. A lot of people are going to nod their head and say, yeah, this has been the worst year of their lives, too. It has definitely been the weirdest year. But when you consider that we're now at 205,000 Americans dead from COVID, 
the lives of tens of millions of people in the country ruined by the economic lockdowns that occurred. It's been a very tragic year by any way you could measure it. Now we're coming up into this election cycle where I'm worried about civil war, that both sides appear to not be willing to accept the elect. They're going to both claim fraud, whoever wins, uh, for different reasons. And uh, the country's going to be, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm very worried about this election cycle because I don't see the win-win here. (laughs) Right now, it's very much being framed up as a win-lose and very tribalized. So uh, I always say 2020 really sucks so far. And unfortunately, the last three months might be the worst part of the year. (laughs) So, um, but that's a short-term concern. In the long run, I still remain optimistic because of innovation, because of the creativity of human beings. We're going to continue to innovate and we're going to we're going to continue to solve problems with novel solutions that we can't even imagine. And our lives, if we don't wreck the world with war or um, if we don't become socialist and take away innovation and, and capital, then we'll continue to innovate and make great progress. And humanity will, it's so much better for humans today than it was 50 years ago or 100 years ago. People just don't have any perspective. They don't have historical perspective or they'd realize, oh my God, it's so amazing to be alive today. I'm so fortunate. Life is amazing. And it is. So I'm a long-term optimist, short-term pessimist. Well, you know, I, the, 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 op- the optimist in me will say, you know, in times like this, People reflect, they go deep, uh, they look for purpose, uh, they, they hopefully look to be conscious leaders. So perfect timing for, for conscious leadership. That's what the uh, optimist in me says. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do think we got fortunate that our book is being released at a really good time because conscious leadership, we need conscious leaders everywhere, Jason. We need them not just in business. I don't see a whole lot of conscious leadership in, in politics. I mean, on either side, I don't see it. And I don't see much in government. And we need it in education. We need it in healthcare. We need it in the military. We need tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of more conscious leaders. If, if we will start thinking when, 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 imagine for just a moment that we, A, began to try to lead our organizations with love. And secondly, that we continuously, every day, sought win-win-win solutions. Good for me, good for you, good for all of us. If people began to think that way and act that way, we would completely transform the world in very positive ways. But we don't. We think in terms of win-lose. We're right, they're wrong, kill them, hurt them. We need, we're one species, we're one human tribe. And we need to start loving each other and finding ways that we can all succeed together. Humanity needs to move forward together. And we can do that, but we'll have to become more conscious to do it. And actually, that's what's so great about your uh, Mind, Body, Green. You guys are about helping humanity to be more conscious. And that's why I love what you're doing and that's why it's so important in the world. Thank you. We're trying. We'll, we'll close there. We'll close there. <laughs> Josh, thank, close. Thank, thank you so much again. Congrats on the incredible book, Conscious Leadership. If, if you're listening, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're just, you know, looking to get better as an individual, um, you're looking to get better in business. It's, it's a fantastic read. I highly encourage it. Thanks, Jason.